Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey there, internet, and welcome back to another episode of the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. So today, me, Dana, I am joined by Dinah Trout, who is the CEO of Health Aid Kombucha, and we are having a fun conversation today about startups and career changes towards the health field when you start out in something completely different, kombucha and gut health. So we're digging deep into fermented foods and prebiotics and postbiotics and why fermented foods are so integral for gut health. So I'm asking Dinah a couple of questions today to clarify, like what should we be looking for in products that actually makes fermented foods beneficial for our guts? Then are there ingredients in some kombucha products that aren't actually the best for gut health? You might be surprised to hear that answer. So that the next time you go to the store and are looking for different kombucha or fermented foods brands, you know what to look for. Also, big caveat here because you all know that I do specialize in gut health and gut health conditions. If you are someone who drinks kombucha or tries any other fermented food and it makes you feel worse, like it makes your bloating worse, it makes your gut health symptoms worse, it's not uncommon. This is actually a pretty common thing for those who do have gut issues and may be for various ve- reasons. So it's time to do some deeper digging there with a practitioner who can help you assess why that might be happening. But just know that drinking kombucha and eating fermented foods while beneficial for a lot of people's gut health and in a healthy gut is very helpful to continue that good gut health. It's not for everyone, especially if you have gut issues right now. Also, if you are completely new to the kombucha and fermented drink scene, I do have a blog post that I wrote about this a couple of years ago that goes into kind of like kombucha 101, fermented foods 101, what are they, what are you looking for in terms of refrigerated versus unrefrigerated, and a bunch of other frequently asked questions that I get just on Instagram or just being someone who specializes in gut health too. So if you're interested in any of that, the link will be in the show notes too. Well, Dinah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to do a little bit of a non-clinical episode or like a little bit less clinical than I typically do on this show. But I would love to start with your personal story. So what got you interested in the first place in pursuing a master's in nutritional biochemistry? Well, I was in grad, sorry, I was an undergrad for um, medical school, um, pre-med. Sorry, I was in pre-med and I was really focused on becoming a doctor, but really didn't know what aspect of health I wanted to get into. I just knew I was like a health person, wanted to help support healing. Um, And in my senior project, I was, I did an internship with someone named Dr. Artemis Simopoulos, and she wrote the good fat diet and really coined, um, the omega, the omega diet, which is the Mediterranean diet, essentially, um, high and natural, high, naturally high in omega threes with a lot of fish and vegetables, but I worked with her and I helped her do the research for her next book. And in my research just fell in love with 
nutrition and food and its impact on health. And it very much aligned with my, you know, overall philosophy on life, which is I'm kind of a, you know, deep down, I'm, I'm a hippie. Uh, <laughs> I'm certainly into holistic nutrition and holistic health. So, um, I just fell in love with nutrition there. And so I made sort of a pivot in my last year, even though I'd already taken the MCATs and gotten into grad uh, medical school, I made a pivot and decided to go into nutrition school. Um, I thought at the time I was going to do my PhD. So I was actually enrolled at Tufts to do my PhD in nutritional biochemistry. Um, but realized in the first two years, um, of schooling there that, you know, academia was maybe not the right place for me. And that's really where it was going with my PhD. Um, I was much more interested in working with people. Um, so two years into my math, two years into my PhD, I said, let's actually finish with my master's instead. Um, which as you know, um, you know, when you're doing your PhD, the first few years are, are very academic and you're very focused on getting the knowledge before actually practicing the knowledge. And so it's very similar to getting a master's. So I did that portion. And then I did my master's in public health for the following two years, because I was interested in applying those nutrition learnings to people and to populations. So I have a master's in nutritional biochemistry and also a master's in public health with a concentration in nutrition. So did you go straight from undergrad into that degree or did you have a time where it was like, oh my God, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I'm having this quarter life crisis before I'm even 25 and now I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life. And then you went back to grad school. No, I probably should have done that um, and maybe saved myself from, you know, all the pivots I did. Um, <laughs> but no, I went straight from undergrad to grad school. That's really funny. I mean, so I ask that because that is what happened to me. I mean, we mentioned how we both grew up in Maryland in the DC area, right? And so I grew up thinking that I wanted to be a lawyer, I wanted to work in politics and whatever. And then after going through college and working in that for a while, I was like, oh God. I don't think this is what I want to do. And then the same thing happened. I got really interested in nutrition and I myself got really sick and then started seeing functional doctors. I had gone to my undergrad in Vermont, so we were very hippy-dippy up there, which yeah. is where I first heard of kombucha. I actually went to Middlebury, which is also an SCAC school. I'm kind of glad that you didn't have to do the quarter-life crisis thing because it wasn't it wasn't the most fun thing, to be honest. <laughs> You know, I bet you there's there's uh, pros and cons to both ways, right? Because yeah. I, when I look back, I think, man, I could have taken a little time and worked in the field to understand how much I liked um, food. But, you know, even I, I apply that to entrepreneurism too, right? Like it took me 10 years to start a business after I graduated mm -hmm. grad school. And I, I think I was an entrepreneur all along. And perhaps I would have learned that if I like, you know, stopped school for a sec. So I don't know, it's hard to regret things in your life, right? And I, I I tend to not regret things because your path is your path and you you no way if you would have gotten to where you got, you know, by doing it a different way. But for sure, it's good to reflect and think like, did I need to do that? <laughs> you know, um, but, but here we are on the phone together, having taken two entirely different paths and yet we're crossing. Now we're crossing. Yeah, I mean, every step that you take, it's always going to be a learning experience and something that will guide you and probably help you, even if it's in a completely different career field, because I know that's definitely the case for me. Yeah, 100%. Cool. So you mentioned it took you 10 years between graduating and then actually landing on, I'm assuming this business idea is what yeah. you meant, right? So 
what were you doing during that transitional period? And then how did you start to, you know, get the idea for this business? And like, how did it start? Mm. So I um, finished grad school. It took me five years to do grad school because I did two masters and then I also got dietetics degree. So um, it took five years and then I went, um, I sort of finished school and I said, well, I can, I can really live anywhere. Um, I was sort of done with Boston. It had been cold for too long. And before that I was from a cold town and I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, which is a cold town. So I was ready for some sun. Um, and my, my boyfriend, who's my husband now and ended up being my co-founder, he was a musician. And so really it was, he felt really strongly about starting in New York or LA. And so we picked LA because it was good for music and it was good for sunlight and I could start anywhere, moved to Los Angeles looked for work and learned quickly that, uh, you know, starting out a nutrition job was not going to pay the bills that I had come out of school with, which I went to undergrad, a private undergrad and a private graduate school. Um, and I had a pretty hefty loan, uh, to pay every month and it's sort of doing the math. I thought, okay, I've got to figure something out. Um, I was recruited by a pharmaceutical company, which, did not really align with, um, you know, all the holistic stuff about me, but, um, I felt good about it because they were going to have me work on a omega three product. And as you had heard from my upbringing or my recent past that I was in omega threes and they, this particular pharmaceutical company made like a pharmaceutical grade omega three to treat, um, certain cardiovascular problems um, and lipid problems. Um, and I was really into that. I was really into the concept that there could be nutraceuticals in our future. So I felt good about working for this pharma company for that reason. And I worked there for five years before starting health aid. Um, so when I'd said 10 years before I meant 10 years from the start of grad school, um, (laughs) not from the bit from the end. So it was five years after grad school and in the pharma company, I learned so much Um, Not so much about science. Um, I think I had done all that work, but I had learned a lot about people, what makes them tick, what makes a good team work, what makes a productive team, a winning team, what makes a losing team, because I was in sales. And um, I also got this weird opportunity, not weird, but special opportunity. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail because it'll take an hour to describe it, but the... (laughs) The pharmaceutical companies at the time were losing a lot of people and they had really low engagement. And it was because generic companies were coming in. And so they didn't have the money anymore to hire all these people. So like the work, um, the work just got, I guess, less engaging and a lot of people left. So there were massive problems in pharmaceutical companies at that time. And our CEO had decided to put um, into place something called change agents. Anyway, long story short, I got put into this role temporarily. My role was basically to try to improve the engagement of the employees. So I completely switched from an omega-3 drug to selling the company to its own people. Um, and this is where I think it was a marquee moment in my life because I learned so much about like I said, it was like a case study and understanding teams. I visited all the teams in the United States and, and understood what makes one that performs, what makes one that doesn't, how much does the manager have to do with that? How do you motivate people? How important is that to productivity and performance? So I kind of came out of this with what felt like a business 
school level knowledge on what makes people work and how do you make people happy at work? And I was really motivated to like apply that knowledge. So I, when I came out of that, I was like, I just want to start a business so bad and not just a business, but people, I want to, I want to get people together and build a team that will like accomplish a goal. So that was actually the reason for me to start something. I didn't yet know it was going to be kombucha or even anything related to nutrition. I was just gung ho about leading people, getting people together and starting a company I could be proud of on my own terms. Um, there were some other motivators too, but that was the start. I happened to make a good kombucha because I learned <laughs> how to make it in school. Um, and I hooked up with my boyfriend and my best friend at the time who were also feeling equally unfulfilled with their jobs and like wanting to start something. And, you know, we kind of just landed on our kombucha. There was a bit of a hop, skip and a jump to get there, but, um, we didn't have a lot of money. We certainly didn't have business experience, but the farmer's markets um, were an opportunity for us in LA. There's 120 of them every single week and they're open year round. Oh so, my God. <laughs> yeah. So it was sort of like a no brainer. Let's start there. It's a hundred bucks every time you want to set up a shop there, which isn't huge, right? You don't need a crazy overhead. Um, and we can apply the money we get, which we get immediately right to the next week. Um, so we decided to make my kombucha, which I'd been making for a good 10 years at that point, um, and give it a go. And that's that that was 10 years ago tomorrow. Oh my gosh. Congratulations in advance. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, so we're a decade old. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say because so I mentioned when I went to school in Vermont, that was the first place that I heard of kombucha, but that was, you know, well, it would be 10 years ago at this point. And I was like, I don't remember seeing Health Aid there, but I guess that was then before you guys were, you know, in business or at least, you know, nationwide and everything. But so I imagine that since the widespread popularity of kombucha has really only spiraled over the past, you know, let's say like five plus years, was it hard to convince people to try it out at first? Because it's like, you know, what were the what were the major marketing obstacles to convince people to drink kombucha, which people basically knew at different points is like that fizzy drink with like the weird looking mushroom in it? Yeah. Um, well, we weren't the first to market. So you're right. We were at the beginning of the wave and the wave is just beginning, you know, when you think about it compared to like, you know, the so like soda or something. Um, so we were at the beginning of the wave, but there were a few that had paved the way. Um, for a good decade before. And so I think in the beginning, a lot of our consumers were those people who had been buying kombucha, were already aware of it. And so let's call them like the most healthy, the, the health enthusiasts. Um, so those folks were the way we would market to them essentially is, hey, we, we make an artisanal, like best you can buy as if you make it at home kombucha. And selling in the farmer's markets, we had all this access to fresh fruit and um, seasonal stuff. So every week we'd have like a special seasonal flavor and it was just so delicious, hard to beat. So for the health enthusiasts, they're like, oh yeah, you know, and generally those people aren't influenced as much by cost. So, um, like they'll, they'll pay up for their health. So, um, so we were, you know, we had a good business that had a lot of buzz, I think with those folks, but that was probably 70% of our consumer. The other 30 were totally new to kombucha. And the way we talked to them, I, I, I mean, 
we learned this along the way, right? Because you're talking to 100 people a day in a farmer's market. So you learn sort of what gets people to come back and actually try it. We learned that for those folks, the word kombucha is a little bit scary and it sort of feels hippy dippy to them and too healthy for them. Like they really expected it to taste bad. Um, and so part of our mitigation to that was to create a package and a look and feel. We didn't want to take kombucha off the bottle because after all it's kombucha, but we wanted it to be a bit more approachable and less hippie looking. So everything from the font we picked to um, the way we talked about it um, to the flavor names, they were meant to be very approachable and taste forward, like taste good forward. Um, so that was one thing that worked. Another thing is we would focus on probiotics. So they didn't know what probiotics were, um, but <laughs> yeah. they knew that was good for them. And it's amazing. I mean, this is something I learned in grad school and I know it's something, you know, as a nutritionist, so many people have gut issues. I mean, I would probably venture to say that most people are not pooping once a day. You know, I mean, I hate to be graphic, but, and so that means there's something going on there, you know, and maybe kombucha isn't the solution, but certainly I think people know deep down that they want to like get motility going. They're probably more focused on digestion when they think about gut health. They don't yet realize it impacts everything, but fine. Still, even just there, a lot of opportunity. Um, and so we would focus on that. We'd say, would you like to try a probiotic tea? That's what we would call it. And they'd say, oh, my doctor said I should think about probiotics or I read something about probiotics. Let me taste it. And we wouldn't even say kombucha. Of course, it said it right on the bottle. But so those are some of the ways we'd approach those folks. Now, that was 10 years ago. The, the spectrum has moved so much now. Many more people are into health. More people are um, into, uh, you know, understand gut health, understand more about gut health. So those conversations have shifted now, um, and, and expanded, like our consumer base is so much bigger, way more people are into it and it's great, but there's a long way to go. Um, when we talk to our consumers today, uh, even the ones that drink kombucha, like three to four times a week, they don't really know what gut health is. They're like, I know it's good for my gut and I know gut's important. That's about it. And I'm like, so do you know what probiotics are? And they're like, I think those are bacteria. And I'm like, okay. Good. Step one, yes. Step one. <laughs> but you know, there's such an opportunity for people to understand a little bit more about that, you know, I guess organ system and and how it impacts so many things they care about. Cause you know they care about their sleep, you know they care about their mood, their skin, how they fight infection. And of course, all these things are super tied in to how that is working. So we plan on doing that as a company. That's one of our biggest missions is to help, help hold hands to people as they journey this, this path. I love that. And I actually, I did want to ask about that because like you said, so many people are aware that gut health is a thing that we should be thinking about, you know, quote unquote, or like, you know, digestion and stuff like that. Like nobody wants to have bubble guts all the time, you know, or nobody wants to have, like I'd call with my clients disaster pants all the time. Like when you're, when you're at that stage, that's like, okay, I got to go to the doctor, you know, okay, I got to, you know, maybe see a nutritionist or do something about this. But gut health starts way before you get to that point. But it's just kind of this like overwhelming umbrella and everybody's like, okay, this is something that I should care about, but I'm not really sure what it is, right? But it's interesting because a lot of the kombucha or just like gut health type products marketing, not yours, obviously, but a lot of the other ones that I've seen are just, it's good for your gut. 
you know, but with our backgrounds, we know that we can go so much deeper than that. So let's talk a little bit more about the gut microbiome and how kombucha may actually impact it. Mm -hmm. Well, I would put kombucha into a category of fermented foods as it relates to how it impacts gut health and, um, fermented foods in general have a very special thing about them. Um, they have probiotics, they have prebiotics, and they also have postbiotics. So they're, as far as I know, they're the only natural food that contains all three of those things. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm happy to dive into what those three things are, but all three of those are important parts of how your gut operates. Um, you can buy probiotics and, um, for sure there are probably good ones out there. I think the challenge with probiotics as a supplement is unless a clinician like you, um, or healthcare protection practitioner is really focused on, you know, um, what's the word I want to say? Like if somebody's lacking in a probiotic, then for sure taking that probiotic, assuming it gets to the gut, um, is going to help them. So there's no question probiotics are like a huge part of this. Um, but what I find is a lot of people just take probiotics and like, don't, don't even know what they're doing. And it's just sort of like, okay, I'm taking this probiotic and like, I'm checking the box, but it's like, well, you might already have that probiotic in great abundance and you're just missing away your money. You know? Um, and I think I read somewhere, I spoke with some um, scientists that said like 80% of us are taking a supplement are taking a probiotic supplement that, that we don't even need. Um, I would believe it. And it's so individual, right? So you really do need to be, if you're, if you're supplementing with a probiotic, I always say to people, well, either take like a broad one that's got a bunch of different probiotics in it. So chances are you're going to get what you need. <laughs> Or, you know, really go with the advice of a clinician who's looking at either signs and symptoms you have to give them clues to what you're missing or actually does like a stool test. Um, the other option with probiotics is to eat fermented foods, which yes, have an abundance of varied bacteria and um, tend to have the ones that people need the most. So like lactobacillus is one that's been studied a lot, uh, all the lactobacillus sort of tree of bacteria. And those are, those are pretty rich in fermented foods. So, so that's sort of how I think about fermented foods. I'm sorry, probiotics, but probably the most interesting thing about kombucha, but the thing nobody talks about is the acids, um, which are the postbiotics and, and it's in all fermented foods. It's why sauerkraut tastes sour. Um, why yogurt tastes a bit sour, keeper kombucha. These are the acids, acetic acid, lactic acid, um, gluconic acid. These are all postbiotics that bacteria make um, and in kombucha have made in the fermentation process. Anyway, without getting too scientific, these are the things that actually go to your brain and make it release the things that make you feel happy and go to your, um, you know, inflammatory centers and help reduce unnecessary infl inflammation. So they're like the actual powerhouses and you're just drinking them straight. Um, so I've always, um, known fermented foods are powerful from my nutrition day school. Like, you know, everybody's your guinea pig when you're in nutrition school, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, you feed your, your friends different things and you see, you know, what sprouts, um, well, kombucha and not only kombucha, like all fermented foods, I was kind of blown away with how impactful they were. My, my sauerkraut, one, one serving could make somebody who was having indigestion, not like almost as if it was a drug. I was really impressed with it personally. I knew that. 
And now I'm really happy to see that studies are showing that as well. Um, because I think it's only you know, a matter of time till we see, oh, wait a second, fermented foods have something special in them and we don't fully understand it, but, uh, but, it, but they're good. A, a recent study, I'm sure you've seen it. I think it was, um, done in, done at Stanford. Um, but there was a question on whether, is it fermented foods that, um, impact inflammation and impact your microbiome, or is it just a lot of vegetables and plants that you need to eat? And so they mm-hmm. studied, a pop a healthy population. And they said, you population a eat a ton of vegetables, fruits, and natural prebiotics. So high fiber, um, you know, plant-based really healthy quote unquote diet. You portion B, you have a fermented food five days a week can be kimchi, sauerkraut, kefir, yogurt, kombucha. Those are the five they were allowed. And they studied them, I think over 10 or 12 weeks. So three months time. And you know, I think a lot of even healthcare, healthcare practitioners were surprised to see the results that the fermented food group did so much better. Their uh, microbiomes were more abundant. Um, but probably more importantly, it reduced in a significant way, 19 markers of inflammation, including one called interleukin six, I want to say, mm-hmm. yeah, that is a pretty tough one to move. And that one is tied to diabetes, cardiovascular, all the things that we care about. So just three months of eating one thing a day, um, had this impact. And that was compared to the control of a lot of vegetables, not even the control of a normal diet. So imagine (laughs) imagine the comparison against a normal diet. So it, I'm happy studies like this are coming out because I'm kind of like, see people, you know, just, it's not, it's not the same as drinking a soda. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm excited about that. Um, I would never say that you have to drink kombucha every single day, but I think introducing fermented foods at least a few times a week is a really easy, easy way to, you know, get sort of more good things going to your gut and you don't have to spend all this crazy money on supplements. Um, again, unless a clinician is directing you to, I still think you should eat lots of fruits and vegetables, by the way. (laughs) You know, also fermented foods. I know. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I wonder which one of the study groups had better poops and better symptoms overall, you know? Yeah, I know. We all know. We all know that's not a happy meal. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. But so here's one thing. Let's clear up very quick, which you and I know this, but let's just be very clear about this. When we're talking about fermented foods, we're not talking about the sauerkraut and stuff that is shelf-stable, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about live active cultures. And if you don't know what that is... Let's explain that. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point um, because, you know, even pickles used to be fermented and now it's coming mm-hmm. back. So, um, yep, you want to be buying from um, from a company and brand that you trust. And that's sort of an annoying thing to say because I wish it was more clear than that. I wish mm-hmm. you could tell from the label easily what's, what's really good and what's not so good. Um, So really, you know, with fermented foods, um, a little bit, you get what you pay for. And I'm not saying go with the one that costs the most necessarily, but certainly don't go with the one that costs the least probably, because my guess is the one that's like a dollar a pop. There's just, there's just no way that that was really fermented, Mm -hmm. but yeah, looking for words like fermented on the bottle, usually people who ferment their product are going to tell you that. Um, so on our ingredients list, it says, you know, fermented tea. And we go into even the acids that get made in fermented tea. So we're trying to help consumers understand 
what acids, because I think I'm predicting that in the next five years, people will be looking for specific acids. So that's the reason for that. But yeah, you want to be looking for the word fermented and then, you know, really just take, do the due diligence. If you're thinking about introducing fermented foods, do the due diligence, do a little research on the brand. Um, also it's where you shop, you know, whole foods is pretty good about, um, and, you know, including brands, um, that do the right, you know, at least having an option that's like real. Um, so yeah, I mean, usually it's refrigerated and it's going to make you feel good. I mean, that, that's the other thing is you eat it and it doesn't make you feel good. You eat some real sauerkraut. Like you take a few bites of that and you're like, okay, this is real. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. not making you go to the bathroom, but you feel like something happening in your gut. Don't you think? I, I often ask people when they do things, I'm like, well, does it make you feel better? And if the answer is no, then, you know, we might want to rethink that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? This is interesting. Two things. One, let's go back to the farmer's market roots, right? Like, at least I know in the D.C. farmer's markets, there are some amazing, like, fermented vegetables and pickles and stuff. So and if anybody's in the area, Number One Sons is a great one in the D.C. area. Um, and then we have some lo- local kombucha brands as well, obviously Health Aid too. Um, but so let's talk about kombucha brands in terms of, you know, Obviously, on Health Aid, there's fermented tea and there's other things to look for. But because kombucha has exploded so much over the past, you know, couple of years, there are definitely brands where, as a nutritionist, I look at the ingredients and I'm like, like, maybe not the best one to be going for, you know. So let's say people are trying to vet different kombucha brands or fermented foods. I guess we already kind of talked about those. But yeah, what are they looking for to know that it's legit? I would say look for the word fermented. I would say um, look for a probiotic on the ingredient list. And there's a long-winded answer to this, but I, I don't want to jump into it too much, except that because the food continues to ferment, um, it it will the probiotics that are natural in kombucha will not last through the end of shelf life just sitting like that. So you need to supplement with probiotics. So if you're, you know, if you're eating it for, um, you know, for gut impact, which, which we are, uh, you would want to look for a name of a bacteria or some kind of, um, uh, yeah, probiotic on there. And then, um, I would say you want to definitely avoid ones that have stevia or, um, or like any kind of sugar alcohol. Um, the intent of that is they're trying to reduce the amount of sugar in the product. The problem is stevia and these sugar alcohols really compromise the microbiome. And there's been quite a bit of evidence on this. So if you're going to be drinking a gut health drink, don't be drinking, you know, one with stevia. I would definitely be looking for that. Um, and I, I know people look at sugar and they're like, oh no, this is the, you know, but in some cases for sure with fermented foods, the sugar is very low and, um, it's there for the probiotics and for a reason. So it's not, this isn't a black and white statement, like avoid all things with sugar. Again, the stevia ones, which will have less sugar, it's actually worse for your gut. So I would say, look for ingredients that you can pronounce. It should have tea, sugar, water, and some kind of flavor. And hopefully that flavor is juice, not something crazy weird. So it's like juice or a fruit. Um, and that's it. That's the artificial sweeteners piece is what I was really hoping that you would get at because it's it's so ironic to me that these companies that, you know, they say they're all for gut health and everything. And it's like, 
but but do you know that you're putting ingredients here mm-hmm. that aren't great for gut health? You know, and some of them might and some of them might not. But, you know, either way, I also just cannot stand the taste of stevia and the yeah. other alcohol sweeteners and stuff. They just taste so medicinal to me. So I guess that's kind of lucky for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but one other thing I want to talk about that I saw when I was scrolling through your Instagram and doing research for this episode is I did not know that you all have kombucha cocktail mixes. And I want to hear more about that. <laughs> Well, we we heard through the grapevine that people love to make cocktails with our kombucha. And that makes sense because the fermented drink adds a lot of dimension, you know, so you can add a spirit. Now, the only thing is with our kombucha and you make a cocktail, unless you like a really strong cocktail, it's not perfectly formulated our kombucha for a cocktail. So even when you mix it with a spirit, you usually need a couple other ingredients to make it a really good cocktail. Um, and so we sort of thought life is hard. Why are we making people put four ingredients (laughs) together? Let's just give it, you know, let's give them something that's super delicious. Got a lot of dimension, like a sophisticated cocktail, not, not just like your everyday cocktail and just all they have to do is add spirit. Um, so we created our mixer line. It is kombucha, but it's formulated for a cocktail. So it's got added juice. If you were to drink that drink straight, you'd be like, oh, this is way too concentrated because it's, Mm. it's meant one bottle is meant to be four cocktails. So you're like thought to, you know, share it, share (laughs) it with your friends or drink it all yourself, I guess. But, um, you know, what's pretty crazy is when we compared our mixer against, you know, all the other mixers, all of them. Um, with the exception of the ones made with stevia or sugar substitute. Listen, I love to have a cocktail, but if you can have one with natural ingredients that's made completely normally, and maybe the hangover is a little less less bad because you don't have as much sugar. So that's the mixer's line. We just wanted to have fun with our consumers. Um, We won't ever go into alcohol probably because health aid to us is about gut health. And we really Mm -hmm. want to create a platform of products that are like, good for gut health. And so even internally, we had trouble with making a mixer because we thought, well, even though we're all, you know, all about the health it takes to be happy, you want to have a cocktail, go ahead. We're not against cocktails. It was more like, is that really where we want to spend our time and money and resources? But again, given so many of our consumers were doing it already, we thought, okay, let's make it easy for them. Let's make it really good. If you're going to try it, you got to try the whiskey sour one. I'm not a whiskey girl. Okay. all. But I'm so into that one. It, <laughs> it with a dark sour cherry and uh, bitters, and it's really sophisticated. And it's like so easy. I'm carrying my two year old on my shoulder, and I can literally make a cocktail on a Friday night <laughs> like, with one hand in two seconds. It's amazing. Oh my gosh! Well, that is definitely the recommendation of the week. Then I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh man. Well, this has been super fun. So. Thank you so much for coming on today. Tell everybody, I mean, obviously they can find Health Aid everywhere, but right, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find Health Aid, and thanks again for coming on. You're welcome. Yeah, Health Aid is sold in 60,000 stores now across the nation. So hopefully it's in your local grocery store. For sure, we're at all the Whole Foods and Trader Joe's, but even beyond that, you should be able to find us quite easily. Um, Also, we're online, healthaid.com. And there you won't just find the products, but you'll find a little info on gut health. We're trying to help educate people too. So if you're interested, you can go there. Me personally, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Dinah Trout and um, I connect a lot with HealthAid. So HealthAid's got a great Instagram to follow as well. So that's where you can find us. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. 
you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.